Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi there, and welcome back to the Old Testament podcast. This will be for Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took no wife a daughter of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Now remember that Aaron at this time is about three years old, so Moses has an older brother named Aaron, and an older sister. And when she could not linger, or when she could not longer hide him, she took him for an ark of, uh, of bulrushes and daubed it with with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the in the flags. The Hebrew is among the reeds by the river's bank. When Moses was born, what did his mother do? How in her, how is her faith an example to us today? To the attentive reader of Scripture, it will not seem strange, only remarkable, that the very measure which Pharaoh had taken for the destruction of Israel eventually led to their deliverance. Had it not been for the command to cast the Hebrew children into the river, Moses would not have been res- rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, or nor trained in all the wisdom of Egypt to fit him for his calling. Yet all throughout this marvelous story pursues a natural course that is natured, natural in its progress, but supernatural in its purposes and results. That was by Alfred Edersheim. Verse 4, And his sister Miriam stood afar off to wit, or to know or learn, what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse to the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go, and the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. So uh, Moses actually has his mom. (laughs) Pretty smart. The ark, a term used in Scripture only only here and in connection with the deliverance of Noah by by an ark, was made tight within by slime, either Nile mud or asphalt and impenetrable to water by a coating of pitch. Thus protected, the ark, with its precious burden, was deposited among the flags in the brink or lip of the river, just where Pharaoh's daughter was wont to bathe. Though the sacred text does not expressly inform us whether or not this spot was purposely chosen, the allusion in Psalms 78.12 to the marvelous things done in the field of Zoan may perhaps guide us to the very scene of this deliverance. Zoan, as we know, was the ancient Avaris, the capital of the shepherd kings, which the new dynasty had taken from them. The probability that it would continue the residence of the pharaohs, the more, as it, the more so as it lay on the eastern boundary by Goshen, is confirmed by the circumstance that in those days all the ancient Egyptian residences, Avaris or Zoan, alone lay on an arm of the Nile, which was not infested by crocodiles, and where the princes, where the princess therefore could bathe. 
There is a curious illustration on one of the Egyptian monuments of the scene described in the rescue of Moses. A noble lady is represented bathing in the river with four of her maidens attending upon her, just like the daughter of Pharaoh in the story of Moses. But to return, the discovery of the ark and the weeping of the babe as the stranger lifted him all are all true to nature. The princess is touched by the appeal of the child to her woman's feelings. She compassionates him nonetheless that he is one of the doomed race, to have thrown the weeping child into the river would have been inhuman. Pharaoh's daughter acted as every woman would have done in the circumstances. To save one Hebrew child could be no very great crime in the king's daughter. Moreover, curiously enough, we learn from the monuments that just at this very time the royal princesses exercised special influence, in fact, that two of them were co-regents. So when just at the opportune moment, Miriam, who all along had watched at, at a little distance, came forward and proposed to call some Hebrew woman to nurse the, the weeping child, this strange gift bestowed, as it were, by the Nile, God himself, God himself on the princess, she readily consented. The nurse called was, of course, the child's own mother, who received her babe now as a precious charge, entrusted to her care by the daughter of him who would have compassioned, who, who would have compassed his de destruction. That was by, uh, again, Alfred Edersheim. Verse 10, And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she called his name Moses i.e. Uh, in Egyptian, to beget a child, and in Hebrew, to draw out. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. What teachings did Moses have growing up? The libraries of the Egyptians and the scriptures of the Hebrews as taught by his mother. It is possible that Moses knew of his divine mission from Joseph's prophecies, speaking specifically about one named Moses. We have no scriptures about the birth of Moses' brother Aaron. From what we know, Aaron was older than Moses and was born before the edict of Pharaoh. Verse 11, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, about forty years old, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. Moses decided to refuse the wealth of Egypt and chose the affliction of the Hebrews to be part of them. Thus the first forty years of Moses' life passed undoubtedly had been so minded, a career higher than that of Joseph might have been open to him, but before entering it, he had to decide that one great preliminary question with whom he would cast in his lot, with Egypt or with Israel, with the world or the promises. As so often happens, the providence of God here helped him to, to a clear as the grace of God to a right decision. In the actual circumstances of Hebrew persecution, it was impossible at the same time to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and to have part as one of them with the people of God. The one meant the pleasures of sin and the treasures of Egypt, enjoyment and honors, the other implied affliction and the reproach of Christ, or suffering which was which has always attached to Christ and to his people, and at that time especially to those who clung to the covenant of, of which Christ was the, was the substance. And he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew one of his brothers. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there were no that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Smote and slew in King James English are both translated from Hebrew nakah, meaning to beat down. It is the word used in describing the action taken by soldiers in combat against each other. It would be correct to say that Moses slew a man who was slaying another, or took a life in saving a life. His looking his this way and that before doing so simply indicates that he was aware that the Egyptians would not condone his defense of a slave. That was by Rasmussen. However, the historian Eusebius 
says that the slaying was the result of a court intrigue in which certain men plotted to assassinate Moses. In the encounter, it is said that Moses successfully warded off the attacker and killed him. In the Midrash, Rabbah, the traditional Jewish commentary of the Old Testament, it is asserted that Moses, with his bare fists, killed an Egyptian taskmaster who was in the act of seducing a Hebrew woman. This is confirmed in the Koran. Certainly, there must have been good reason for Moses' act, and most assuredly, the Lord would not have called a murderer to the high office of prophet and liberator of his people Israel. That was by Peterson. Verse 13, And when, we, when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to, to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me, as thou killest the, the Egyptian? And Moses feared, and said, Surely this thing is known. It appears that the Hebrews were not yet ready to follow Moses. They would have, they would have to wait forty years for him to return. So the symbolism here that as, as Moses is trying to uh, help the, the Israelites here and being rejected by them is symbolism here that they were not ready for, for Moses to lead them. Verse 15, now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face or the presence of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. He would have fled across the desert. He, he may have become familiar with the desert so that when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he may have known the area already. In the gracious dispensation of God, that time had now come. Before being transplanted, so to speak, Moses had to be cut down. He had to strike root downwards before he could spring upwards. As St. Stephen puts it, his brethren understood not how that God by his hand would give them deliverance, what his appearance and conduct among them really meant, and what next and when next he attempted to interfere in a quarrel between two Hebrews, the wrongdoer in harsh terms disowned his authority and reproached him with his crime. It was now evident that the matter was generally known. Presently it reached the ears of Pharaoh. From what we know of Egyptian society, such an offense could not have remained unpunished, even in the son of a princess, and on the supposition that she had originally saved Moses was still alive after the lapse of forty years, and that, then, and that the then reigning Pharaoh was her father. But besides, Moses had not only killed an official in the discharge of his duty, he had virtually taken the part of the Hebrews and encouraged them to rebellion that Moses commanded such position of influence that Pharaoh could not at once order his execution but sought to slay him, only aggravated the matter and made Moses the more dangerous. Open resistance to Pharaoh was, of course, impossible. The sole hope of safety now seemed to lie in renouncing all further connection with his people. That or flight were the only alternatives. On the other hand, flight might further provoke the wrath of the king, and it was more than doubtful when, whether any of the neighboring countries could, under such circumstances, afford him safe shelter. It was therefore, indeed, once more an act of faith when Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, or remained steadfast to his choice and people, as seeing the invisible one, that is, as one who, instead of considering the king of Egypt, looked by faith to the king invisible. Like Jacob of old and Joseph under similar circumstances, Moses must now go into a strange land. All that Egypt could teach him he had acquired. What he still needed could only be learned in loneliness, humiliation, and suffering. Two things would become manifest in the course of his history. That which, is, that which in his own view was to have freed his people from their misery had only brought misery to himself. 
On the other hand, that which seemed to remove him from his special calling would prepare the way for its final attainment. And so it often happens to us in the most important events in our lives that thus we may learn that lessons of faith and implicit self-surrender and that God alone may have the glory. Disowned by his people and pursued by the king, the gracious providence of God prepared a shelter and home for the fugitive. Along the eastern shore of the Red Sea, the Midianites, descended from Abraham through Keturah, had their settlements. When, says nomads, they wandered on one side of the southern point of the perennials of Sinai, and on the other northward as far as the territory of Moab, among the Midianites it happened to Moses, as of old to Jacob on his flight, at the well he was also to protect the daughters of Ruel, the priest of Midian, against the violence of the shepherds, who drove away their flocks, invited in consequence to the house of Ruel, he continued there, and eventually married Zipporah, the daughter of the priest. This, and the birth of his two sons, to which we are we shall presently refer, is absolutely all that Moses himself records of his forty years stay in Midian. Again that was by Edersheim. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs, the troughs in water to, father, to, to water their father's flock. Jethro had the Melchizedek priesthood, and he bestowed it upon Moses. But we are in circumstances to infer some other and important details. The father-in-law of Moses seems to have worshipped the God of Abraham, as even his name implies, Ruel, the, free, the friend of El, the latter designation which the patriarchs gave to God as El Shaddai, God Almighty. This is further borne out by his after-conduct. Ruel is also called Jethro and Jether, which means excellency and was probably his official title as chief priest of the tribe, the same as the imam of the modern Arabs, the term having a kindred meaning. Verse 17, And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Oh, gee, it almost sounds like Ammon, doesn't it, in the Book of Mormon? <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Verse 18, And when they came to Ruel their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And he said unto his, to his daughters, And where is he? Why is he? Why is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, i.e. a sojourner there. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. Now the prayers of Israel become more earnest for their deliverance. Their faith is still intact in spite of the years of bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. In the Hebrew it says, and God knew he was cognizant of them. It has now been 40 years since Moses left Egypt. Moses is now 80 years old. I bear testimony that these scriptures are true, and bear this testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.